Welcome to another episode of the Has Been Hoops podcast, now brought to you by Hoop City, Australia's number one basketball training facility. If you want to raise your game, visit the team at hoopcity.com.au to find your nearest location. Chris, we've just had a chat with the great man, Anthony Susanjara, my ex-teammate. Funny, insightful. Uh, I've always known that he's been super characteristic and charismatic in the way that he, he talks uh so so grateful to have such a great guest and another one that we're just compiling of basketballers with great basketball stories uh what what do you what do you like about source you know what it's never the basketball stories i think that that draw us to a person who we'd like to speak to and and the one for me and a, a, a few people know this but um you're close friends with them i think is well established. I've only known him a little bit. I played against him, but you know, when your daughter travels overseas and you need someone on the ground, um, she had something pop up where she needed someone around. And I called source. I called you. I got his number. I called, I said, look, is there any chance you can get to UCLA tonight? And before I hung up the call, he was in the car. And that just shows you the character of the guy. Um, you know that he's. You know what was interesting. I said to Izzy, um, you know, she calls you Uncle Wertho. I said, do you trust Uncle Wertho? She said more than anyone in the world. And he says, well, Uncle Wertho trusts Sus more than anyone in the world. So for me and for her, that was enough. So it was great to talk to Sus. Um, fascinating guy. Hope you enjoy the episode, and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Well, Chris. We've got another amazing guest here, my old teammate, Anthony Shushanada. That's how you pronounce it, by the way. Am I right there, Sus? Got a well, mate. Uh, yeah. Uh, everyone back in Australia calls him Sus and Jara. They put a little bit of Aussie twang into it. But uh, Sus, one of my favourite teammates, someone that I used to live with. Uh, Sus, I'm going to start off with this. Uh, just doing a little bit of research and uh, how I could introduce you. And I, I stumbled across this, this little piece of information. Parents immigrated from uh, Croatia on a 33-day Viking ship, circumnavigating the globe before docking in the port of Sydney. I was born in a great city before venturing by raft to Chile and settling into the foothills of the Andes. At the age of eight, I was raised by wolves and natives on the Chile. Bolivian border, my exposure to high altitudes is why I have such a great lung capacity and ability to sprint for extended periods. I was educated informally by the land, but formally at the esteemed Institute of Coastal Carolina University, studying ancient medicine and physical education. A sport named basketball piqued my interest, so I decided to turn my energies towards it and perfect it. I am now married to a lady named Jennifer, whose lineage is a Scottish royalty. I'm six foot eight or 203 centimetres. My nicknames are War Beast, Golden Axe, Yeti, and Sus, among others. I'm proficient in Cantonese kickboxing with a perfected roundhouse reel, heel kick rated by some media outlets among the greatest of all times. My true passion lies in the culinary arts and fine tobacco. This is our guest, Anthony Susanjara. Someone's painting my name out there. That's ridiculous. <laughs> Look, I know where you got that from too. What's that? Mate. 
Let me tell you. Let me tell you real quick. I was I was doubling up when I first came out here. Okay, I was working with a high school, Santa Margarita Catholic. Okay, it's the same school that Clay Thompson went to. And they gave me a part-time job because basketball, you know how it is out here at that level. You, you, you can't make a buck. So they gave me a part-time job at an orthopedic surgeon's office, okay? And they wanted me to write up a, uh, a bio. And I was so sick and tired of the basic shit. So I presented that. <laughs> I put it on and, it's, and it, hasn't, it hasn't left the internet. <laughs> hey, the 30 days by boat by my parents is correct, though. That's, that's the truth. Uh, mate, uh, so- Sus is one of the true characters um, three seasons, right, Sus, uh, both at Sydney and in Townsville uh, yep. for your NBL career. Yep. Um, I think you would find it hard for any teammate to say a bad word about Sus. But you, you find yourself over in the States now, mate. Tell us a little bit about what your journey post-NBL has looked like. Where are you based now? What are you doing? And, uh, yeah, just, just give us a bit of insight. Yeah, look, look. Uh, as you know, when, when I when I went from Sydney, I went over to Iceland for a year, and I played over there, and uh, and and it was a fun experience, you know, at that level, won a championship out there. That probably made it worth it. If we didn't go that far, it would have been would have been a toss up if it was a good decision or not. And I made that decision over instead of going to the Singapore Slingers at the time. They gave me an offer, but they wanted me to pay my own uh, own apartment. And I wasn't going to do that on 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 thirty grand or whatever they were given. So I went over there, and then and then I got that call up from Townsville, which was just kind of out of out of the blue. They had one of their big boys um, uh, go down with an injury. Uh, development player Steve Costanzo, that was his name, Big Steve, champion guy. And they ended up flying me up. Had a killer workout. Uh, did well. Trevor liked me. Um, spent the season there. Um, saw our demise against your Dragons uh, in the semis, and then. Uh, and then, you know what, I had my girl, my wife now, but she was my girlfriend at the time up there with me, and no one, uh, no one nice enough to give her a job. And then we'd come to that point, like, where so many, there's so many more players in my position um, than what they are, you know, with, with, the, with the situations that you guys were in, you know, being as successful and so esteemed. And, and, and we came to a point, like, what do we do? You know, do I still work for another, you know, Seabull gig and then and then you know be the tenth man and we decided to move to the United States. We got married. Uh, two pretty good options: stay in stay in Australia or stay in California. We decided to come out here. I thought you meant five. you had two pretty good options to get married to. I thought that wow, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that quiet, mate. But, <laughs> but it was good. We moved moved out here and then I, I still wanted. To, I had the itch to stay involved in basketball and that's the benefit of being in America. It's it's just so saturated. Um, and I'd literally gone out and went old school. I just emailed and messaged a bunch of different coaches in the area. There was a guy, Jerry DeBusk, who's the second all-time, you know, winningest coach in, in Orange County history behind uh, Gary McKnight at Marta Day, famed Marta Day. And Jerry Jerry took me in. He was old school. We'd chat and he had me work with his guys and, and, and there started my, my little journey into uh, into basketball in America with a high school gig and then onward from that. Go back just a little bit. I've got to pick you up. If you were to pick one Iceland story, which one did you tell? Which one would you tell? Oh gosh, I can't. Not, all right, I can. You can. <laughs> I can. All right, I'll go with yeah. you. So, <laughs> oh mate, I had a uh, I, had a, I had a teammate convince me about how important their fish oil was for your well-being. You know, they have this like this cold fish oil. You know, and I I, I was onto a health kick then. I'd Lost a bunch of weight and uh, and and protein was was quite expensive out there on the salary that I was at. So uh, 
So I was on this fish oil kick and I, I didn't have much to do at night. I was just on, on, on LimeWire downloading new, new music and, and watching movie series. And, uh, and I had a shot of the fish oil and I saw there was a little, I didn't connect the two dots. There was a little rash on my, on my thigh, you know, and I just ignored it and went to sleep. And then uh, I woke up and it must have been like three in the morning <laughs> and I was hot, you know, I was, I, was, I was really, really hot. And I took the blankets off and I, and I switch on the light. And as you do, you look in the mirror and you're squinting, you're waiting for your eyes to adjust. Man, my, my throat had closed up. I was finding it hard to breathe. And, uh, and, and I was just, I had hives all over me from head to toe, you know. And, uh, and I passed out. I ended up just going back to the bed and passing out. But it, it had alleviated a little bit in the morning. So I go to the hospital, you know. They say, go to the hospital, get it checked out. I go to the hospital and they take me back. Okay, and it was an Italian doctor. They're all, you know, Enerson, you know, Davidson, and then I had Salvatore take me back. <laughs> Salvatore, he takes me in, and he uh, he asked me what's wrong, and I said, oh, it looks like I had an allergic reaction. Okay, my throat was closing up. I was wondering if you could uh, if you could give me some clarity on your fish oil that I'm taking. And he said, all right, you know, good. Can you cough for me? take your pants down, all this kind of stuff. You know? And I'm like, oh, this is a little bit uncomfortable. I go, I don't think that's very necessary. He goes, I have to check it. You know? So he, um, he does it. He checks everything. It's nice. Mind you, I'm just going with the protocol. You know? And he starts with a, with a rectum check. And I tell him, look, I don't like this. I, I speak up. Like and he yells back at me and he goes, I don't like it either. <laughs> so I'm, 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 waiting, I'm waiting for the test. He's got his phone on the desk, probably about like say two meters away, and it just starts ringing like a Beethoven ringtone, you know? And I'm just staring at a wall, and he answered it. He actually went and answered it. Okay. Long story short, I leave there. I'm not very impressed. I, I go to practice. I just got the shits, and um, I go. This on a Friday. I go to collect my results on Monday, and they go, "Yeah, I go. I just like to get my results from Doctor Salvatore," and they say, "We don't have a Doctor Salvatore." <laughs> I lose it. I lose it. This is me. She goes on to the next person. And I say, no, 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 we're not done yet. Okay. I've got some demands. I saw a doctor. His name was Salvatore. So they brought the head guy in and he goes, who are you looking for? I go, I'm looking for my test. I came in on Friday. A guy did a comprehensive check on my health. I didn't think it was necessary. I want to know if, if I'm okay. You know? and, then, uh, and then they end up doing the research. He was one of those doctors that subs in. You know, He was traveling. They had him there for about three days. You know, but they kind of looks. I was about to tear the whole place up. You know, and I went, I went to the coach. I said, "You, this country is rubbish. You guys do. You guys, are I'm not. I'm not accepting this. Fly me home." Uh, and, and and yeah, that was probably that was probably the craziest one. There's a few others, but that, that's up there. That, that is a that is a decent story to start oh, off with. Yeah, nothing basketball related. We had a really good season, but you asked me. So. Uh, obviously, we can tell that you're a character. Chris and I already know this. Um, you talked about music before, you know, like you downloading LimeWire. One of the one things that I took away from our relationship is how much you just enjoyed music away from basketball. It seemed to be your little escape from it. What's your connection to music overall? Do you still do? Do you still have it these days? 
Still is, you know, still is. It's it's a big part I like the reason I like living in Southern California too, because you know, whoever tours is gonna to come through LA and probably the Inland Empire and Orange County and San Diego. So you get to see a lot of good shows for a reasonable price, you know. Like last year I went up to the Palladium and saw Midnight Oil, you know. And uh and and you know, seeing Peter Garrett at seventy one years of age, still with the energy he has, I mean, unreal. And that was the that was the same night as the first Origin game. So, you know, I ended up wearing my blues jersey and and it was a great night, you know, talk, talk smack to a couple of Queenslanders. But, but music for me, when at a young age, I had a really, you know, it was a really formative moment. Like my, my old man passed away when I was young, when I was about 11. And, uh, and honestly, he, 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 my brother went to fight in the Croatian War in January 29th. And my, my, and my dad died February 2nd of, of 1992. And, and, it, and it completely changed me. So as far as basketball really, really saved me in, in, in so many ways, you know, where I could just put, put focus into, into a hoop and a ball and soccer and cricket. And I loved all different sports and rugby. I was more into those. I was more into league and soccer than I was basketball. But you kick a footy, you've got to go retrieve it. And basketball, you can... <laughs> you know what I'm... Like you weren't, you're coming from the western suburbs out in Fairfield. I didn't own three or four footies and have the option to, you know, like you kick one footy, you got to retrieve it, and it's boring. And and I found basketball, I could get lost into the continuity of it. Like just you got to got to go in after three swishes, got to go in after four banks. But music was the other one, and and music was kind of my escape, and still is. I want to go back to to basketball um, real quick. When you say that, and you said it found you, and you've, you've taken a lot from it, but. Fast forward to what you're doing now, and we'll get back to what you did on the court yourself, but you said it was saturated over there and there are so many, in my opinion, bad coaches who post everything on social media before the parents know they've made a horrible decision, they've ruined kids' careers. Tell me about, I suppose, why you coach, because we don't see you all over social media, but probably some of not only the skill lessons, but what you try to instill in the kids you work with. And I'll let Werther go through some of the higher profile names that you have worked with that might surprise a few people here. Yeah, look, the only way that I ever found myself to get into a position of growth in basketball on the floor was by learning how to do the basic fundamental things really, really well. So when other things failed, I could always fall back on the basics that were so essential to being a good basketball player. To, to, to go ahead and tell us some, feel free to, because it's a basketball podcast. Go, so many people talking cliches. We've, we've had them on all the other podcast. Tell us what. So I'll get, a, I'll get a player in. The first thing you're going to identify is the way they move and the way they catch. I want to see kind of like right. about getting the post player, okay? And everyone wants to come in and, and work and do moves, okay? And the first thing I'm looking for is, you know, uh, do you know how to be a receiver? Do you know Source you know do you do you know actually how to how to establish yourself and become a receiver? Because if you can't get the ball, because it's a it's a there's it's a lot of push and shove down there. If you can't get be a receiver, what's the point of even trying to work on doing something with it? You know. So first thing is is getting learning how to get great position, learning how to leverage, and then then advancing to having options off off your four pivots. You know, like like really teaching two reverses and two forwards and and some of the basics into some of the more intricate things we can do out of that. And then you can go on with 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 your, you know, your, your double share and all those kind of things. But before we do that, 
um, it's just a massive passion to make sure that the people that are really, really talented and they may lack some of the some of the fundamental qualities to get themselves to an even higher level, say like ball protection, do you carry it on your inside inside hip? Um, you know, do you know how to uh, how to get out of a out of a double? Um, do, do you know how to identify other receivers that might be open? So if someone's coming and, and, and the coverage is ball side or weak side, okay, what's your what's your first look and what's your second look? What, where's your parachute when you make a move? Okay, are you just going in and jumping out with a reserve shoot, or do you have a pivot series that can get you out of trouble and give you better options as a scorer or a passer? Okay, um, and that's that's pretty much you know I want people to be able to get into a position, be really, really comfortable with it. And then once they are, grow out of that and, and, and add layers to what they do. You, you've been able to work with the Maker family uh, over, over a period of time now. H- how did that relationship start? And what can you tell us about the three Maker boys and, and what they're doing at the moment? The biggest thing, first, first of all, before we start with anything, the three of the most outstanding people. They are. They're, they're, they're such good young men. Okay. Um, sometimes, you know, with the agenda that people might have handling uh, a young talent like that, the kids actually get lost in the shuffle and get the same reputation as the person that's putting them in the position at times. Okay. Um, but they're outstanding young players. My connection to them was there's a guy, Ed Smith. Okay. Some people in Australia know, know, know Ed Smith. Ed Smith, that was was my trainer when I was 16, 17 years of age and gave me the opportunity to come to the United States. So he had gotten a crew. It was Graham Dan, Luke Martin, Clint Reed, Steve Levin, myself, and then later on, I think Ian Crosswhite had come through, Alex Marriage had come through. It was quite a talented crew. We used to train at 6 a.m. every morning down at Sydney Uni. Okay, and uh, and I, when I'd come to the United States, his sister was my legal guardian in Washington D.C. So I went, I went to a, I went, Clint Reed, Luke Martin, and myself went to St. John's College High School out in a, out in a really, really tough. I'd say the best, uh, the best league, high school basketball league in America, and the the WCAC with the Damathas and the Gonzagas and the Paul the Sixth. So I was with her. And we'd had a real big disagreement about the way things were gone. I felt like I'd got taken advantage of a little bit. Um, and then I ended up going with a different Chinese family that were like family still to this day. You fast forward 23 years later, and I'm in a gym at Rancho Santa Margarita, watching Santa Margarita uh, High School play Orange Lutheran, and Makura's on the floor, you know, and... And he's, he looks fantastic. He's just running and... and, and probably a little too perimeter-centric shooting long threes, but he's, but he's just so talented. And as I'm walking down the steps, I see Ed. And, uh, and I decide to bite the bullet a bit, which I should. As I'm, you know, I've got a family now, and it's, you know, I, had a, I held a little angst against it. And I went up to him, and I just I gave him a big hug and said, thank you. Without you, I, I don't have the opportunity to go to America, get a degree, meet my wife, have a St. Bernard, have a house, all the, have, have, have a beautiful daughter. And his, uh, and his wife is fantastic. I mean, she's awesome. You know, I gave her a big hug and a kiss. She hadn't seen me since I was a teenager. And then Ed and I had talked and he, he, he recognized that I'd been doing a bit of skill development. So he got me in with McCurr and I was working out with him at Orange Lutheran uh, in the mornings, uh, 6 a.m. workouts, kind of like what I did all those years back. So it's, it's, it comes full circle. And we really, really got after it. And then COVID hit and... Uh, and Thon had come out to uh, out to California, and so had Matur, and and they had been put up in a house in West Covina, 
and nothing was open. There was no blueprint to how we could go about our business. So I literally, they literally called me and said, hey, could you work us out? And we, I went up to this house in the hills of West Covina and I brought everything I had. I brought the heavy balls, basketballs, stretch bands, yeah, ladder, uh, medicine balls, you name it. And it was like a Rocky style workout, man. These boys, and they work, you know. We had them doing hill runs to some activation work of the bands to uh, to one-on-one on the grass. I mean, that's how desperate they were to try to find a hoop and get better. Things had opened up a little bit, only a couple of facilities. So we ended up doing 6 a.m. workouts at, at, at a facility called Ethica. Ethica has their, it has a warehouse. It's like a, a underwear company, okay, like a, like a hip-hop one. And they had a hip-hop studio in there, which was crazy, okay, and, and, and it was always billowing a, a strange, danky smell out of it, you know. So we're in this we're, – we're, we're, we're on the basketball court 6 a.m. to 8 o'clock every morning just busting our asses, okay, getting better. And as soon as the employees came in because the fans were on, there was the concern for COVID. We got to get out. Masks on, get out, sanitize, and go. And they would come back again uh, at like uh, I think it was nine or ten p.m. and do their session with Ed. So it was like bang bang. They were just working their asses off. And that's how that's how my relationship had had gone with them. Good, a good ten months of work, solid work with uh, uh, those three boys. Fast forward, you become part of the Boomers uh, oh. coaching stuff and part of that group that was part of the training in california Mm. a couple of points to this your relationship with gorge going from someone that you were a player under gorge now you're uh, part of that coaching staff that's helping them prepare for the olympics and being your mate uh understanding how proud you are of you know, the Australian team, probably you being in that moment, being able to help. Uh, can you tell us about your feelings about that during that time? It's funny, you know, like of all the things that you've done in, in, in life and in basketball specifically, uh, nothing compares to the experience that I had, um, at least being a part of um, <clears throat> the preparation and the camp that they had uh, leading into Tokyo. You know, it, 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 had, started, it had started probably about a, a year and change prior to that. I was in Vegas and uh, and Matt Nielsen and I had, had caught up over over a drink at the Aria and we're just we're just talking as friends having 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 a cold one late at night um, pretty casual and and he had mentioned to me that with uh, with Brett Brown they were looking to for the first time bring the camp over to the United States because the contingent of players that we had now that were representing Australia was majority playing in America so it just made sense logistically you know bringing the camp to them rather than bringing them back. Um, and he said, look, it's probably going to be somewhere in California, might be up in the Bay. Would you be interested? And that's an automatic. I was, I was shocked. And I said, absolutely. It's, you know, it, like a service really, like, you know, whatever you need, you know, and, and, I, and, and so that had transpired. COVID had kind of hit some snags. Tokyo was put off and, and I didn't push it. I didn't, you know, I just left it as it is. Gorgian got on staff. Maddie had called me probably four months before camp and said, Hey, what we talked about, are you still in? I go, that's it. Serious? He goes, yeah, yeah. I've, I've, I've talked to Jason and I've talked to Gorge and, and, and you know, we'd, we'd love to have you in there. It makes sense. You're around there. We'd love to have you on board. And nothing nothing compares, man. I'm telling you, they went into J-Law's gym and they turned that into mini Australia. You know, you go in, there's a protocol for COVID testing, but we got the, we got the Torres Strait Island, the Aboriginal, 
and the uh, and and the Australian flag on the back. You know, all you're hearing play from the boombox on the side was, Dave, you know, Braithway and 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 Aussie Crawl and Noyles and Chisel. Okay, like constantly, like it's constantly on. Even for guys like Matisse that are wondering what, what what's what's this. And then, uh, and then, you know, a couple of the early guys were in. Nick Kay was in early. Brock Modem was in early. And then, as it started developing, there was just such an awesome energy around it. And um, you know, it almost gets me emotional speaking about being part of that because because my my daughter and my wife got to got to get a taste of it. Patty had hosted a little party on the Wednesday. I think we started the camp on the Saturday on that Wednesday, kind of kind of a little break after practice. And the COVID thing was a big thing. So for them to invite my wife and my daughter, you know, with the preparation of something so grand was was, was a special thing. And I'll never forget my daughter walking down the hill and she decided to put on this sequin dress and, and Patty just, he says, hello, and he gives her a hug, you know, he says hi to my, my wife, he gives her a hug and he goes, look at you, you're going to light up the whole party, you know, and... uh and, and and it was an amazing thing. We had food trucks in there. We had flat whites and sausage sizzles and 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 pies. They they, they made it so Australiana, you know. And a little initiation for for some of the Lawleys trainers doing shoeys and having shots and and just just a great environment that that Aussies do better than anyone else. Okay, like kind of breeding a unity and and breeding a, a self of someone else. You know, like like I got your back, you got mine. <clears throat> So let's fast forward a little bit. There's a kid in my neighborhood, and and this was the proudest moment, of, one of the proudest I've ever had. He's telling my daughter, hey, my dad flies drones, okay, which is really, really cool, okay? And I didn't know my daughter had retained any of this information. And my daughter goes, my daddy, my daddy trains Australian players. He trains Paddy Mills. He's, <laughs> he's on TV. And she said this, you know, she goes, he, she goes, he held the flag, you know? And I was like, Ah, oh, like that best dad moment ever. So, like when you when you ask me what that was like mm-hmm. being in that environment, you know, um, unbelievable from the coaching staff uh, all, all all the way down to to the support staff and the trainers and everyone. It was uh, it was such a united uh, environment, and uh, and it's a real big reason that they went on to do what they did. And your relationship with Gorge, going from a player under Gorge to the staff. Magic, magic, you know, he, he gave like, it was, I'd say, you know, Gorge, Gorge has tried to give a little more autonomy to everyone else early, you know, and it didn't take long for him to kind of put his imprints over what he, what he, what he wanted um, and the standards that needed to be met. But, uh, but it's funny, like with Gorge, I've always been really cool with Gorge. We've always had trans, transparency, you know, it was a little intimidating at first being around him, uh, but we'd had our, our run-ins as a player and, you know, just being a larrikin, but he'd, well, he's, a, he's a type of guy that, that, always respects um, you standing up for yourself and, 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 and being a man about things. And I think that's why, why you know, it was a little seamless for him to have me in there. And and he was always just high energy, what's up, Seuss, and uh, get everything going. And Gorge was someone that was huge for me. Um, you know, my one year, my first year with Gorge, and I always tell people this, okay, I'd spent five years at university. You know, I'd spent five years doing a redshirt year and the four years of playing and, and didn't find myself getting all that much better there's obviously just residually through maturity but one year with Gorgian and I was it was worth more than those five years of college tell us more about your time with the Kings let's get back to Australia just for a minute your time with the Kings your time with Townsville and I'll ask you in a minute were they threw me under the bus with one of our other guests but I I want I want to get a story about were they that I might not even know and certainly the people listening don't like but so the Kings first your time in the NBL, how you see the NBL now, and then give us something on Wurdo, please. 
Oh, it's just the, the NBL now is it's so versatile. It's such an active league. It's such a so many moving parts and pieces. You know, when I when when I went there, it was it was awesome to get involved. Different kind of level to to get used to. But you know, it was it was pin downs to shakes to horns. You know, everyone's kind of running similar stuff, and uh, and just to see where it's grown from there. Um, in parts, I think obviously much better. But like, there's still parts with. Like I don't, I don't see a Chris Anstey in the league. I don't see, I don't see that. You know, um, I don't see a local seven footer that was just as damaging as you were. You know, and going against like the DTs and the, and, and and the Dmax and it, it, I thought I thought the league when we were there was um, was was still really 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 powerful. Um, around the 2010s, I think it hit a little bit of a, a bit of a speed bump, and then obviously it's at a beautiful place right now. Um, Next Stars program being a Unbelievable initiative to generate so much excitement from from abroad over there too. Uh, Worthy was Worthy came in. He was a little bit younger than me, uh, three years younger. Even though we started at the same time, uh, part of that Metro State connection, uh, and he was just just a just a competitive bastard, you know, like 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 real like when you talk about people that have got white line fever, you know, he he, he was. He was probably the biggest proponent of that. Like he could be a goofball, and he, you know, I'll tell you what. Were they was like this? Were they were so naive with things? You know, we lived near the was it the Iron Duke, the pub? It was. It was the Iron Duke. It was the Iron Duke, you know. And obviously, we're big on big on skin folds and making sure we take care of our bodies, you know. So where they would where they would go? Hang on. We. What's that? The we kings. the kings. I was going to say not were though. Sydney Kings. Oh, mate, that's where I'm. Wordo never passed a skin fold test in his life. Nah, you know, and I was actually doing all right at that time, mate. You know, I was better than you on the skin folds. And he goes to the pub. He goes to the pub, and he goes, and he thought it was a healthy option. He'd, he'd, he'd grab the, he'd grab the big barra, you know, he'd grab the fried barra and, and the big steak fries, you know, steak, big steak chips on the side of the ground. You know? He comes back, and his skin folds aren't getting any better. Him and Crosswhite are getting in shit, and um, and, and, and he's like, well, "Fucking, I'm eating fish," you know. And, uh, yeah, but <laughs> I, I, I'm on the plate. Um, you know, were though I, I, I still talk to my young players about Mark Worthington. You know, and, and specifically to what we talked about earlier. Um, you know, he was the best cutter I ever played with. You know, as far as a guy that needed to get to a spot, if he was on the right wing and needed to get to the left block, there was nothing stopping him from getting there. And uh, I know he knocked out Bar. We talked about this. Knocked out Dave's teeth with him. Barlow knocked out. Uh, I think Crosby's teeth with it. You know, and. And any time I had to set that second second pick, you, you you would just run through people. You were just such an intense intense competitor and uh, and reliable. I I got this story, and I'm, I'm sure Sus will remember this. I had my little brother Trent come train with us uh, for for uh, I think he trained with us what for two months, Sus. Yeah, he was there for a while. He was there at least at least and, weeks. And so uh, Sus's mum used to cook like a lot of food and bring it down and just put it in the fridge for us. And uh, she'd cook these schnitzels this one day and she had this plate of schnitzels and they were, they were beautiful schnitzels. And Sus and I went out with Luke Kendall and we'd, we'd gone out. I think we were in Newtown playing pool or something like that. And we'd, we'd gone for it. Yeah. We'd, we'd had a few drinks and we'd left my, my little brother at home and uh, Trent has decided to have the last schnitzel. That was, what do you uh, mean? She did the last four of them. <laughs> I'll, I'll let you pick it up from here, Sus. You know what's going on. That's four of them. That's why we didn't go out and get a bite to eat. I said, I've got schnitzels at the house. I come back, I look in, I go, where are the schnitzels? 
you know, or Croatian. So, so my mum always cooks food, you know. And uh, he comes out and he admits to it. And it was, oh, man, I wasn't happy with him. Like, I wanted to. <laughs> you weren't happy with him. I've never seen such a man handle a 16-year-old kid and start scratching into his stomach and yelling, where's the schnitzels? Bring him back. Where's the... <laughs> My brother was terrified of Sus for a good couple of weeks after that. And guys, put a, guys wrestled and put a hole in the jibrock wall, and then my brother had to go fix the hole in the jibrock wall. And then Wertho got rid of my washing machine and brought a new one, but it was still all it needed was a new part. And you said, oh, "Sorry, man, sorry, man, I thought it was rubbish." You know, yeah. Uh, good times, good, good times, good times. Uh, I'll tell you a story real quick with Chris, though. You know, this oh. is bring for. Uh, for the Melbourne Tigers for the grand final. So <laughs> we got we got CJ Bruton, who's obviously probably the most integral part to what we had because we didn't have a backup to him, you know, and we're going against D-Max. So, so you know Luke Martin, BJ had been elevated into a, into a role, but more a shooter than he was a, you know, a kind of a, an offense starter, the distributor or whatever title you want to put behind it. But, but CJ, I had to play Chris. So I was I was Chris Anstey, you know, and believe it or not, I'd, I'd learned how to shoot the ball pretty well. So I don't want you to feel like you're insulted, but um, <laughs> but, but I'm not the insult. They always CJ always wore the skins, you know. You got told at certain points not to set too many hard picks on CJ, and it was just the way I was built. Like I'm 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 spreading the screen, making sure that there's a gap between me and the guy that's guarding me, so he gets an option. And I think they came to the conclusion, like, look, fuck, we can't have Sus cork him. Like, he's going to get a cork during the year. So Billy Tomlinson gives me a pad, okay, those big, big pads. So I've got to sprint out. So now when they call the, call the on-ball, I'm you. I'm coming out to set a pick. I'm hitting him with a pad. And as I'm reverse pivoting on the three-point pop, I'm chucking the pad to the second <laughs> getting my hands ready. And I'm cashing checks, mate. And, and like, it was just, a, you know, like, and Billy's like, yeah, sauce, you know. And it was like, hit, pivot, chuck, catch, and knockdown. And, uh, I think the biggest story here is CJ needs to be hit with pads. It was at that, at that point. But who, who, who are you going to have this backup? If he, he goes down, like, I mean, we had, we had no one. And it, it didn't matter anyway. At the end of the day, it would just sweep us. But, like, you know, it was, uh, it was a massive point of concern. It would have had to go on a meeting, like, look, fuck. We got to run our shit. We got to get prepared, but we can't have Sus knee and CJ. Like, what? What do we do? Give him a pat, you know. Uh, <laughs> the fact, the fact that you just bring up Billy Tomlinson's name, like, <laughs> so many stories just come flooding back with just talking about these three years, the, the time at Sydney. And, he was. Big- uh, he was a big. He was a big person. But he was a big influence. Someone really important for me. He was one of the few people. I never made any junior team. I never made anything. There was no state teams. I played Division Three at Fairfield. I was the only guy in ITC that wasn't playing D One. I was playing D Three, and 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 I wasn't really formally introduced to basketball like that. Bernie Slattery was a guy that got me, and then Billy Tomlinson when I when he when he worked with me. It always had. I don't know. Maybe it was that kind of that footy mentality or that toughness. It always had a high level of belief in me, and he and he helped me out a lot. So credit credit to Billy. I, I just remember one time um, I got a cut on my arm. I think it was on my elbow and it was, it was like a deep cut and I, I forget how I got there. I think someone's teeth probably went through my elbow accidentally. Awesome. And um, Billy's like, oh, we'll sort you out. We'll sort you out. And so at the training facility at Alexandria, the, the coach's room was up above the courts. 
And so you climb up the stairs and you go up there and Billy's like, follow me, follow me. And so I thought he might have had some like tape or something, which I thought we could have just got from Laurie Watterson down on the court, but just wrapped something around the arm. And so Billy walks in, he pulls his bottom drawer of his desk and out pulls out a bottle of bourbon and, <laughs> and just and just pours it on my arm. And then he goes, you'll be right. Get back out there. <laughs> and that was it. And that it was, was only it. medicinal use too. He never yeah. <laughs> but I had that story and I can't remember if you're on this China trip. Did you come to China with yeah, us with the kids? Do you remember when we were training? I think we get to China and we're training and we're going up and down and this Chinese, yeah, this Chinese court had, it was two separate courts, but they had like uh, boxing bags, like yeah. all around the court. And Billy's like doing his shuffle and he'd come up to the first one. Like, bah, 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 bah. You know, he comes up to the second one. Bah, 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 bah. He's throwing an elbow on the third. He comes up to the third one. Bah, 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 elbow, elbow. He comes up to the fourth one and Billy's got glasses on. He's like, bah, 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 and just headbutts the <laughs> bag. <laughs> and he breaks his glasses. And I think at that point he realised that he was, he looked like a fucking idiot doing what he was doing. But he broke his... Cattle dog! <laughs> Mate, Billy was the absolute best assistant of all time. You know, I, love, I love Billy Thompson. Talking about coaching, Sauce, I'm going to ask you this last question. What are your aspirations? Do you want? Do you, would you like to be a college coach one day? Do you do you want to get back and be an NBL coach one day? What What's the end goal for you with basketball? Yeah, it's a pretty open ended question. Um, for me, look, I've you know the college thing had presented itself. I never had any interest in in leaving where I was to be in the college environment. You know, um, you know, I think I think if you could rewind it back, and if I was in my twenties, yeah. You know, I'd, I'd grind that out and I'd chase that dream, but um, but it's 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 such a it's it's a it's a not the environment that I'd want to be in. In a professional setting, you know, being part of an organisation and 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 being being part of that juice and, and 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 getting people into the right frame of mind and and body and to to, to compete, I, I would I would love that opportunity. I would really would consider being in a professional environment, um, you know, in whatever capacity it was. Obviously, in a in a development standpoint, um, to some degree, uh, there was a team that reached out a couple of years ago, um, and it was only a NBL team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was a brief, brief little conversation. There was a, an informal offer put in front of me, and then kind of rescinded because of a change in staff. Um, but you know, my wife does really well for herself over here. Um, I do all right as well, it's, it, it, but for the challenge, it was something that we were seriously considering, and uh, and and we talked about it deeply, and and got taken away, and then the nature of how things work. But yeah, that would be that would be that would be something special for me to be a part what of. A, what about NBA? Is NBA, there, yeah, is absolutely. That more, more realistic of something because I'm assuming that you and Jen wouldn't want to leave the states. Is I think we. Right? I think we would leave the states, though. You know, I, I, I'd, I'd be open to it. I'd be open to coming back home for sure. You know, uh, I miss it. I miss home. I miss, I miss this. Just being able to kind of relate naturally 
you know, not taking everything so literally. I do love America. Don't get me wrong. My, you know, my, my daughter's born here. So is my wife. I've got a, I've got a great house. I've got a pretty comfortable situation and I, and, and I do enjoy it. But, um, but it's, it's good. It's good to experience a challenge, you know, and especially if you could get rewarded for it and, uh, and go back to kind of where you're from and, and resonate with the people that you always have. Uh, that's always attractive. Mate, I'm going to finish. I'm going to go one more. But um, we had Paul Shirley on last uh, as our last guest, and he had a quote, and, and we ended our conversation with him with this question. I want to pose the exact same question to you. In his book, he'd written, Heaven's arriving at the end of your life and realizing that the story you've written with that life is a story someone would, uh, someone would read. So my question to you is, what's the chapter in your life you'd love most people to read or, in fact, out of everything you've spoken about in your experience, maybe the greatest lesson that you've learnt across the journey? Ooh, that's a big one. Um, you know, I, I, I live, I've always lived by a, a simple quote. It's always been said, you know, chance favours the prepared mind. Um, you know, keeping yourself prepared, and it doesn't have to relate to basketball. You know, I went through a few hardships, uh, at, at, at a young age, you know, um, kind of family getting decimated within four days and, and things going awry. Uh, and, and it was always just having, having a belief that, look, if I stand up for myself, okay, if I've got a good core of ethos and morals and manners, which have been given to me from a young age, okay, good things are going to come. And, uh, and, and and another one with the kids now, like when you're working with the young, they don't know, they, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's another big one for me. You know, it's it is a care factor to this. Have an integrity to what you do. Not everyone has to. You know, the basketball business is fickle. People are going to use you for what what they need. And and if you're a nice guy, you know, it's advantageous to the person that's getting something out of you. You know, and it's all right to realize that. But the second, I, I could never change that. You know, I don't think, I think change is 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 a conscious choice. You know, you don't have to. Accents, for example, you get Aussies that come out here six weeks later, they're, they're speaking in American accents, you know. I come home periodically for a little maintenance, but, like, you know, anything, run faster. If I tell kids, hey, go ahead and run fast, I don't know what's going on, so I've got to add a faster, you know. But, uh, but it's just, you know, f- find out the kind of man that you want to be become that kind of man and stay that kind of man. That's it, you know. And I think the rest kind of falls in place. Uh, and, 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 and the measure of success you have doesn't have to be – doesn't be measured by the jobs you get or, 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 or the status that you've achieved. Um, to me, it's this, you know. Chris was someone so- I looked up to when I was young. Would I think that in my, at 42 years of age I'd be on a video podcast you know, talking to a couple of Olympians about a sport that I've been obsessed with since I was about 13 years old. No way, you know. But this is the most special part to me, being part of the boomers thing. Walking through the airport, calling Brad Davidson because I was on a flight during a, uh, during a, during a uh, bronze medal game, okay, and having tears in my eyes walking through customs. These are the things that matter to me, okay. The rest is all trivial, so... Well, mate, I'll let Wertho end up, but the, the, the parts that matter for me, I won't get into it, but I called you not knowing you a, a few months back. You picked up the phone and you put it down and you helped me without even asking a question. You helped my daughter out because I wasn't in the United States to help her out myself and you fixed her up. So for me, everything you just said is exactly that. So thanks for that, mate. We'll, um, 
We're going to talk more in person really, really soon. But Worth, I'll, I'll hand over to you, mate. Uh, mate, I've, I've really enjoyed this. And I've known that you've been... Uh, You've been probably one of the more underappreciated people in the basketball journey that I've been through and underappreciated, not just because I knew that you're a really good basketball player as well. Like, I don't think people gave you the credit of what sort of basketball player you were, but no matter how good of a basketball player you were, you were always a better person. Uh, You were always a person that I could rely on to have a conversation with. If we could not talk, if we didn't talk for six months, I know you knew the conversation would be just as easy as if we just spoke yesterday. As and uh, and uh, when we have had chances to catch up, and uh, there was a pretty funny night that we had in LA a couple of years back. Uh, it's <laughs> moments, it's moments like that that I go, no matter where we are in our lives or what we're doing in our journeys, it's it's always going to be that special relationship between us two and. Uh, I appreciate you coming on board, mate, and I appreciate you uh, talking to us. And, mate, uh, we hope to hear a lot more from you sooner rather than later. And, and guys, love what you're doing. Don't stop it, okay? Um, you know, being honest, being transparent, and having opinions from two people that have done it all, okay? The Australian public, and f- frankly, everyone needs to hear that, okay? And even my budgie sauce. Yeah, budgie. <laughs> yeah, budgie. So glad you moved that budgie to the laundry. <laughs> Good on Thanks, you. Thanks, Thanks, mate.